0: Welcome to Define the Relationship podcast, a podcast where we explore the relationship we have with the Bible and ourselves. I'm one of your hosts, Darlene Enstick.
1: And I'm the other host, Ted Enstick. And as you can tell from our names, we belong together. I just defined the relationship.
0: Good morning. Welcome to Define the Relationship podcast. We are Heading into chapters 8 and 9 today, we're going to do two chapters, and we're sitting out in our gazebo, it's a beautiful August morning, the birds are chirping, so it's a good good environment for us to, to be in right now.
1: Yes, it's been an especially beautiful summer. We, uh, we've been on a bit of a break. And it's good to get back at this and um, get back into uh, how the Bible actually works.
0: Yeah, and what our relationship continuing to define our relationship to the Bible, and maybe our relationship is is starting to to get more complex, but also more the more depth. So
1: it's kind of like any good relationship is one where you start to learn things that you didn't really know about the the person or and uh it does feel like we're getting into some stuff that's uh that's new and fresh as we understand what the Bible is all about. So thanks to Pete Enns.
0: Yeah. And all throughout this book um Pete is is emphasizing our like sacred responsibility to um, you know, to ask what is God like for us and in this in this time in this place and that's a that's a sacred work mm-hmm. sometimes it might be a really frustrating work, but it's it's a sacred responsibility for us as as we engage with our world and as we engage with god so yeah, I really like his his reminder of that. So I get to be the question asker today, Ted, and um, I want to start a little bit with um, Chapter Eight is very small, and I think we might spend most of our time in in Chapter Nine. Um, but why don't we kind of begin? I think one of the questions that was raised for me already in Chapter Eight, but I think it continues in Chapter Nine is. Um, as Pete invites us to um, to this sacred task of of reimagining God for here and now, um, and the importance of that, I think one of the questions that that came up for me was how how we discern whether we're just making God into our own image um you know my god looks uh you know this way because these are the things that i am about and where is that where does it cross the line from reimagining into kind of just imposing my own my own ideals and yeah how do we I don't. I don't feel like Pete really gets into that necessarily.
1: But you want to get into the really hard questions, like right off the bat. That's where. That's where you want to start. That with, is Mike.
0: where I want to start because that's what first page. You know, Pete is talking about about um, how the ancient in- Israelites saw Yahweh's love in a particular way, his steadfast commitment to them and how he was keeping his promises to them. And, and he's kind of saying, we have to imagine God's love in, in, in our time. And, and I'm just, I immediately kind of brought that wrestle up for me about, well, how do we know we're just, if we're not just imagining it in the way that we want to imagine it?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you you point out the wrestle that I had too as I was reading these chapters um that on one hand, I think it's on one hand it's really clear that ends is saying that there is adaptation, there is reimagination, there is evolution. these are things that you see as you read the bible you you it we some people might point them out as well there's contradictions, but he's pointing out these are not contradictions, but these are developments that take place and i think it's quite clear from how ends develops his his book that he's sharing with us that this is indeed the case that there is development there but it's still kind of in the back of one's mind is this sort of niggling thought that okay well that's all fine and good but where do we find the sacred place of wisdom in this process where we can say okay that's what we need to take from that's what we need to take from this particular understanding of god by the people of israel or this is this is where the truth lies and this is truth that is false um it it feels like a bit of a hard task now i wonder i i'm i he although ends doesn't get into this and I would like to get into some of the things that Ends does get into because I think they're they're helpful to us. Um, I don't know. I'm just going to throw my what I was as I was wrestling with it. I was wondering is part of does this come back to the problem that that gets talked about earlier in the book? Is that we come to the Bible with a false understanding of what we're supposed to get from it, mm-hmm. and so. When we approach the Bible as something that it isn't, these niggling questions get sort of aroused in us in a way that, you know, I I am trying to think of analogy on the fly here. But I was thinking it's almost like if we think the Bible is um, like a recipe book that would help us cook delicious dishes that are nutritious and stuff we might get really frustrated because um, it seems like the Bible tells us, well, you know, well, we're like they actually give the example of, like, well, you know, for the meat for sacrifices, should it be boiled or should it be, should it be, um, um, I guess, uh, barbecued would be the, the term for, you know, and we would think, like, well, um, which is it, you know, and, um, it might get very frustrating if we're thinking about like, well, how are we how are we to use this as a cookbook, and um, we keep asking questions about recipes and cooking and stuff like that, and maybe ends is kind of saying like, well, wait a second here, this isn't a cookbook. This is this is something else. This is a story of people <clears throat> engaging God you know in a way that reflects what they're dealing with in their time and we need to do that anew because we are wrestling with different issues we are a different society we have different understandings than they did at that time and so yeah um so i don't know maybe a big part of it is that we're just we're trying to have the bible do something that it's not meant to do i don't know does that does that resonate yeah. or
0: yeah and i think i i mean maybe maybe what we always come up against is is that that clarity that maybe we still always think we want is you know i mean even you said something a minute or two ago like it's clear that you know and i think <laughs> we're always still coming up against we want things to be clear and our sacred responsibility isn't clear. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a true, um, wrestle with wisdom and, and it's not that we can't ever land somewhere, but, but it's always that landing point is always changing. And it has always been that way, that landing point for the Israelites and, you know, changed over time. And, Um, and it's, it's continuing to change and that's the point that that's, that's not a problem. That's, that's a point. Yeah. And so like, again, one, one of the question marks I had in the, in the margin of chapter eight was Pete talked about, he said, when I see God presented today as a champion of the full equality of women, people of color, refugees or the environment i say yes this is my god too this is the god i believe in but this is a reimagined god Hmm. and i was like really did that reimagined like to me when i look in the biblical text i think i i see that And, and then he says, well, as hard as it might be to hear the God of the Bible, strictly speaking, doesn't actually champion those causes of equality of women, people of color, refugees, or the environment, however important they might be to us. He's, he's kind of saying like, that's a reimagined, um, that's a reimagined God.
1: Right. I'm. I'm just struggling to find where you're seeing that in. If you wanna just help me out, this is chapter eight. I'm.
0: Yeah, it's like in the does your God recycle oh. section.
1: Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. Like. I think we
0: might we might see it. Like I I, I was just thinking, is that true? Is that reimagined? Because I was thinking, I feel like that's all over in the Bible that God sides with the refugees, and that you know, God is on, the, you know, like the environment, for instance, like, I feel like that's all over the book, you know? Um, and he, and he's kind of like, well, sure. You might see hints of that. Mm-hmm. And, and if we can find a hook for that, but it's brought in after the fact, it's like,
1: right. So, I mean, so let's th- let's talk about the refugee, the refugee angle. I mean, there's okay. definitely hints of God's God's um siding. siding with and saying you need to welcome the stranger, you need to make space for the stranger. But there's but at the very same time you can find in Old Testament stories this perspective of God saying, like, keep your people pure. When you go into the land and take the promised land, right. you know, make sure you don't let any of the strangers infiltrate because you will start worshipping their gods, you know, it's not good for the king to take foreign wives because you will end up worshipping their gods. So you could as easily say that there's a, there is a, a call to purity. There is a, like, almost like, um, you know, we talk about one of the real scourges of history and of our time is the wanting to ethnically cleanse um, societies. We've seen that in recent global conflicts and also... You know, when we look at um, things like segregation, in um, um, or apartheid, or in our own country, um, dealing with what was called the Indian problem in our history, and trying to keep people separate, or to cleanse people from their ethnicities, these are all kind of, um, these are purity things. And you could say, well, the Bible seems to suggest that that's a good idea, and people have used the Bible, and so it's maybe we're looking more at our own perspectives on these issues and we can see that in there. But maybe the bigger question is we have to wrestle with it. Like what is the, you know, it can be a little disconcerting because we would like it to be a bit more clear. It's either one or the other. And it seems like there's a bit more of a, there's a bit more of a, a tension that we have to wrestle with. And we have to maybe look at the Bible and say, well, how is the tension resolved as things move forward? Because I think we're we're moving into a transition into thinking about how the New Testament and the Old Testament relate in this in this process. And you start seeing the New Testament writers who are in the tradition of the Old Testament, they are not rejecting the Old Testament, they're reimagining it. And so you have someone like Paul saying, there's no Jew or Greek, there's no male or female. And there's a more... What we would kind of say a more progressive vision of how God relates to people, and it becomes more inclusive than it was thousand, two thousand years previously to those writers. So, I right. guess it just rather than it getting simpler for us, it gets a bit more like we have to we have to continue to engage it, and we cannot, um, like, Anne says, you know he says this is yet another paradox the god of the old can only be accessed by being reimagined so it's like we can't we can't go back and get the while the old time religion and sort of make that something to go we actually have to reimagine to even get access to who that god is
0: and our survival depends on it this is like i mean this is moving into chapter nine but it's like it's it's not just like okay yeah it's important. It's like no, our survival depends on it. Say, how did that? Does did that strike you at all? Like he.
1: Yeah. So if you want to transition into chapter nine, like yeah. I think this is where things got very interesting to me. The chapter is called "Seriously Updating the Ancient Faith." You know, and yeah. it's, you know some even just that title is kind of provocative because some people would say like well there's there's no need to update the faith of Jesus and the faith of God. I mean this is sort of like it's once and for all it was laid down and we just need to understand it and get on with it. You know?
0: Yeah, so let me let me get your um your thoughts on this quote um We are back to our paradox. To maintain any tradition, this is on page 165. To maintain any tradition, you need to hold on to some aspects of the past while at the same time thinking creatively about how the past and the present can meet, reimagining the faith as I've been putting it. The perennial wisdom question is, what remains and what gets transformed?
1: So since you're using an actual actual book and I'm in my Kindle, my page numbers are just all out of whack in which which section is that in? I just want to just want to be able to
0: It's like it's like the third page of the chapter, so it's still in adapting to survive. Oh, okay. <clears throat> third. But basically it's like so the question oh, right. is what remains and what gets transformed?
1: Yes, I mean so. This this chapter was I I really liked it, Um, and it reminded me of uh, of a quote that that was shared a number of years ago in a different setting where we were talking about the um, actually the the development and the future of an educational institution, and um, it it was in the conversation of valuing what the institution has been and what it is in at the present and where it was going to go in the future. And so in that, in that thing, um, one of the leaders of the institution shared a quote by Gordon Harland, um, who was a, was a theologian at university of Manitoba. And uh, I've always loved this quote and I really think it fits into this. And he said this about, about change, really about adapting. He says, if you do, what your ancestors did in the exact same way as your ancestors did them, then you are not doing what your ancestors did. You're actually doing something completely different. And so the idea is that when we look to the past understandings of something and we embrace it in the way that we think they embraced it at the time, we're actually not embracing what they were embracing. They were doing something, meeting a particular time in history, and they were doing something that was relevant to that time. And if we simply transport it from that time into our time, we're actually changing what it is. We're actually making it into something that it's not. And actually to do something similar to what people in the past have done, what we might say the tradition... We actually have to spend some time adapting it and reimagining it so that it has the same value and the same meaning in our time. Um, so, so
0: basically, if you're if you're not doing something new, then you're not doing it
1: the, in the way it was done in the past.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because which, God is always doing something new, and the Chris and the the rich Christian tradition is kind of the core of it is that it is it is and was always adapting
1: right right
0: so if we're not if we're just trying to do it like it then we're missing the point
1: right completely it's kind of like that also that quote people say like uh tradition is the lived is the lived um reality of the past and traditionalism is the dead the dead living of the past and so like a tradition is dynamic it moves forward it doesn't just stay in the past and um i think ends is saying this is exactly what it means to take the tradition of the bible seriously is to you have to reimagine it for it to be what it is you can't just say well that's what it was and we just need to kind of fall into line with it or we need to harmonize it with parts that don't seem to go together. We have to recognize that the reason why they don't seem to go together is that they're a part of something that's moving right. and dynamic.
0: But then, so then the big question is always what remains because, and, and of course there's been great tension of this in our history is, is an understanding of, well, that some things may change, but not this, like this needs to, this is core, like, right? they what remains and what changes uh is so different for for people. This is why we have so many different denominations yes. and so many different you know understandings of um, what is central and what can't change that that's somehow diverting from what God really wants
1: yeah so that's a like that's a really fair question and it's a real i mean it's an obvious question that we wrestle like we we that's not just a theoretical question like that's kind mm. of where the rubber meet. the rubber hits the road yeah. in this case and reimagining and trying to gather what is the wisdom i mean there's a lot of debate and it can get pretty contentious and stuff like that um the thing maybe that I would point out and I believe this is what ends is trying to point out is especially in this chapter, and maybe we should get into some of the, some of the details of how that's actually a reality is that some of the things that people in, in talking about, let's say the Christian faith as it's lived out presently in the 21st century, they say, these are things that are, um, we 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 can't reimagine these things because this is just the way it is. And so, for example, Enns gives the example of, for Christians, the understanding that God is like the the three omnis, um, omni, um, present. omnipresent, which is all-present, God is all-knowing, omniscient, and God is all-powerful, omnipotent. And these are things that we say, well, this has always been true in Christianity. These are things that are always true. And then end goes goes and bursts the bubble of that thinking and saying, well, yeah, that's how Christians have imagined who God is, reimagined who God is. But if you look at the Old Testament understanding of who God is, that these things don't really make sense to that God. And so there's been a reimagining to get to those places. Mm -hmm. And so there are stories in the Old Testament where it seems like God isn't all powerful. Like God seems to be like, um, Oh, he, 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 makes a decision. Like, um, I, I regret ever making my people, the story of Noah, which we've talked about on this podcast. And because it, because it comes out of the book and he, God is presented as being someone who didn't quite understand where this was all going to go, which seems to kind of undercut God as being all-knowing or um he says that God isn't all present in the Old Testament. God you know seems to be in different places at times and well,
0: isn't the, isn't it um isn't also the the transition from the old in the Old Testament of Yahweh being a god among many gods. Right. The course. best god, the 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 only uh uh, the only God for the Israelites, but it was with the understanding that, uh, many gods exist, but they serve only Yahweh. Right. Right. So, um, it's, and then it, you see that adaptation as time goes on from, you know, more to a monotheistic understanding. But then as you said, um, how they adapted their understanding of whether God was had left them, had abandoned them. And um
1: yeah, so so I think maybe the the point that I think is is kind of important here is that before we get to answering the question, so what do we keep and what do we what do we throw away? Let's put it mm-hmm. in that language or what do we understand to be in the older way of understanding it? and What do we understand in the way that ends up becoming a newer way of understanding it? Before we even get to that question, humility, which is, humility would bring us to a point to recognize that even on those, what we think are kind of core understandings of our faith understanding, things like there's only one God, that's a core understanding of Christianity, or that God is all knowing, all powerful and all present that even on those core things, they are actually redevelopments of understanding of God in the tradition that actually, and that's not a rejected tradition. Yeah. Like the, the Orthodox Christian understanding is not to reject the God of the old Testament. It's actually to engage it and recognize its importance, but it's, also in a process of reimagination. And so I guess maybe what I'm saying is that we shouldn't maybe be going so quickly to, well, well, what do we keep and what do we leave out? We should say like, hmm, there's something going on here, even in these big core faith understandings that had involved reimagination. And so maybe there's some some freedom for us to say, well, what does... What does the God of the New Testament, the God of Jesus, what does that look like in our time? And maybe we need to do some reimagination there too. Some people say, Well that's scary, that's like that's uh that's risky. Um is saying, Well that's just what is going on in the Bible already. We need to get on board with that. I don't know.
0: Yeah, and it is it is I mean scary, it is daunting, mm-hmm. I mean not scary, but it is it is daunting,
1: yeah, like um, I don't know, just pick up on some of the some of the maybe the nuances of what's going on in this in this reimagination project in the bible but um in in the fourth section of chapter nine. chapter nine is uh dealing with an inconsistent and somewhat ridiculous God is the, is the section. And, um, um, ends is talking about how there is part of the reimagination happens when the Jewish people start getting influenced by Greek culture. Yeah. The, the, the Greek civilization becomes a kind of a major central part of, of the world and starts to, um, influence. influence and and stuff and so um and then you have like the whole process of things being put down in writing like where before they never were in writing and now you start seeing the bible becoming a thing like the written word and you start seeing the development from Hebrew into other languages Aramaic and then of course the Greek language and there's a translation of the Old Testament that ends up being in Greek it's called the Septuagint, and it's a it's a significant translation of of the Old Testament, and you see in the translation process, reimagining taking place. And so, just for one example, yeah, um, in the Hebrew story of creation, uh, unlike what we think about, that God. Created for six days, and then he rested on the seventh. The Hebrew story actually says that God actually did some creating on the morning of the seventh. He he did some final touches on the seventh day, and then he rested the rest of the day, right?
0: It's, yeah, it says God finished the work of creation on the seventh day. Right. Which sounds like God's creating on the seventh day. And then, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, engineer. and so, and
1: then in the Greek translation... They see some kind of inconsistency in this, and so they they decide to fix the they decide to fix it in the translation, and they say that well, actually, you know, he was done on the sixth day, and then on the seventh day he rested because, in the Ten Commandments, you have you should only work for six days and rest on the seventh. They saw an inconsistency, so, and they start doing some harmonizing in their translation.
0: Right. So they want to solve a problem, and so they they actually adjust it. Yes. In the language. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so, um, I don't know, to me this, like, I I didn't even, I didn't know this until Mm -hmm. I read this. And it's kind of like, wait a second here. Like, um, I mean, this goes against our modern contemporary understandings about how to deal with Scripture. Because in our contemporary modern way of dealing with Scripture, we say, like, okay, let's go back to the original languages and and understand what's going on here. And so we would want to say like, well, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the old Testament, let's like, I mean, it, it's interesting to look at that, but let's go back to the Hebrew and see what's going on here. And then say, like, Oh, there's uh there's something a little messier in the Hebrew, original Hebrew than in sort of the harmonized version of it, which kind of makes things a little bit tighter and a little bit cleaner. And
0: you took some Greek in in Bible school, right?
1: Uh, yeah, I took uh, I took enough Greek to be dangerous, <laughs>
0: as they say. So why why Greek and not Hebrew? What do you mean? Like why why in Bible school are is the instruction to Greek? Why not to Hebrew?
1: Well, I mean, you do both if you're if you're a serious student of the Bible, then you would have to do both and. Um, for example, like um, just a memory of a memory of being back at Canadian Mennonite Bible College and Old Testament professor Waldemar Jansen, who um, is, was a very respected um, Hebrew Bible scholar, and um, you know he was a very humble man, so I don't think he was showing off. But when we were talking about, for example, the Book of Exodus in a class on the Exodus. We all had our Revised Standard Version English translations of the Bible that we were working off of, and he sat at the front of the room with his Hebrew Bible, and he translated it into English on the fly as he read the Hebrew. Um, And um, so from from the perspective of somebody studying the Old Testament, knowing the Hebrew was super, super important. Mm -hmm. What ends is saying here is that if we want to understand the Bible for our time as people trying to understand who God is and how that brings wisdom into how we live our lives, um, we just need to recognize that that's a process of reimagination. It's not a process of going back to another time, kind of like, uh, you know, the movie Back to the Future, where we get into our DeLorean and we, transport ourselves back to the creation of the world and we get a um, a factual picture of what happened there and then we can br- come back into our time and say, well, this is the way it is mm-hmm. and this is the way we need to do it. You know, yeah. and so um, it's much messier and anybody who tries to make, a claim that it's not that messy that that's a problem is actually you know they're confused they're they're actually trying to do something that's not actually possible to do, and so then it's it ends up being a real problem
0: It ends up contributing to the death of it's like I would say ends is talking about this is this is central to our survival.
1: Yes, so yeah. it's
0: not just it's not only problematic he uses even kind of more um definitive language and says this is this is about our survival yeah how do you how does that how does that work in just really practically speaking what does that if you think about what our life has looked like the last couple of weeks, or like or what we're dealing with right now what 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 good news does this bring to you um, or what um, yeah what what does it mean for you practically speaking
1: well it's kind of a yeah it's a very general question do you have yeah. like a more specific way of like
0: well I'm just trying to bring it always back to like I'm imagining our community of people at Seeds listening to this and thinking okay got it we have to reimagine how what does what, what that what does that mean um, in a more tangible sense for for me what how does that impact my 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 life and my faith.
1: Yeah, like I mean that's a really big question. I I would go back to the questions that that Enz kind of he throws out there, it's back in chapter eight. He says, um we have to ask ourselves questions like, what is our hope? Right now, what are what are we putting our hope in? How do we yearn for God to show up now? Mm-hmm. What urgent thing is happening right now to our families and our world? What new thing will God of the old do now? Mm-hmm. So these are all like these are all real questions for us. Like we're, um, I mean,
0: I'll I'll tell you
1: like like maybe pick something that we're wrestling with right now in our in our in our world or in our, in our life? What, what are you thinking about?
0: Well, I think, I mean, one of the things that is so pertinent right now is the racial inequality, the racial struggle. And I think one of the problems that I see, you know, in the black lives matter movement is, um, you know, sometimes we have the, the Christian kind of response that's been slapped on top of it, that all lives matter, you know, like there's this. And, you know, Jesus died for all. And you kind of see this um, problematic kind of spiritualization in some ways of... um, what I would say, okay, listen, there's a struggle going on right now. yeah. And to me, but I don't want to think individualistically about this, but to me, the spirit of God is um, moving powerfully for us to understand that Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Uh, because... Because they haven't mattered. Right. And until black lives matter, not all lives are actually aren't mattering, you know? Yeah. And so that's something like that. I feel like, oh, God is moving. Uh, The spirit is, is um, rising up. And will we, will we join? Will we join with that? But I think other of, of my fellow Christians see it very differently. And so there's, it feels like a bit of a, you know, um, it feels like a bit of a battle around... Oh, and that's just my phone ringing right now. There we go. I'm just going to turn that off for a bit.
1: Life keeps happening.
0: <laughs> so that's kind of one way where I, I, I feel like... People that are committed to faith and committed to Christianity, we land up in such different places. And I can think about another example right now, a bit more personally, in our family, where you know there's different ways of understanding what the Bible has to speak to us. And but we're reimagining something, you know, how we understand God now. And sometimes um, it's easy for Christians to say, "Oh well," but it says God said we shouldn't do this, you know, it, this is, the Bible is clear about this. And then, you know, our kids are teaching us that they're understanding the Bible maybe differently and they're coming to different conclusions. And so we're wrestling with it.
1: Well, I think, okay. I, I think this is what I would, what I would go back to is I would go back to that. Yeah. That like you use the word wrestle. I think that, um, You know, we maybe use that word a lot, but it underscores that there needs to be a dynamic conversation on things that matter for us in our present day. And we need to, maybe one of the frustrations sometimes is um, people of faith who, rather than become part of a conversation about, let's say, Black Lives Matter and how do we engage this in a faithful way? How do we deal with um, the justice issues that are around people of color and how systems seem to be consistently oppressing people of color in in subtle and not-so-subtle ways? And if if the answer of faith is a pronouncement, Like all lives matter is sort of, it's sort of saying like what you're doing there in your protests and your calls for justice, all that, that's not really good because all lives matter. And so let's just move on. Right.
0: It's a way to kind of
1: cut off a conversation. Yes. And I feel like what we're learning in this conversation with Enz's book is that how the Bible actually works is the Bible is a dynamic conversation over centuries, reimagining things to meet new needs and new problems. And so I believe that rather than saying like, well, okay, what's the right answer? What like do black lives matter or not or, or whatever? It's like we're being invited into a dynamic conversation and it might mean people coming with different perspectives and saying, well, what about this? And what about that? And how would the Bible fit into that? Well, we would look at the Bible and we'd say like, oh, there's a there's a dynamic conversation going on here in the Bible around race, around the stranger, around the outsider. And where's that conversation going? And how does it um, inform the conversation we're having? And... I think that that will be we will be beneficial because we'll start to, you know, understand some things from the conversation of the Bible that will lead us into some good places like um what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Well, if a person of color is my neighbor, if I want to love them the way I love myself, I will I will validate their experience because I want my experience to be validated and I will take their story and their what what their life has been like and what it continues to be i'll take that seriously and i'll ask some some tough questions about how do i how am i contributing to that i mean and it'll it'll be dynamic and i think we'll get to a a reimagined place and we won't at any point say like well, as it was said three thousand years ago you know all lives matter You know, because Paul said that there's no Jew nor Greek, so that means that all lives are matter. And sort of like, yeah, I don't think that wasn't exactly what Paul was doing there. Paul was actually engaged in women lives matter in his context. There's Mm. some quite it's quite obvious that Paul was radically innovative in how he viewed the people who were in the society very much on the bottom and women were those people. And we say like, ah, Paul wasn't all that innovative. He seems pretty kind of stuck in patriarchal ways, but actually there's a movement and innovation going on there and we don't need to kind of get stuck where Paul was, but we can see that he was doing something that we can kind of continue to move forward with and it might look very differently in, in 21st century. So I just feel like that conversation is so important that we don't want to move too quickly to, well, this is what this means. And, and, and as, you know, we're people that we, you know, lead a congregation, like part of that is recognizing that, well, we are given time to wrestle with these things, spend more time on it and to, you know, have education and learn and stuff like that. But at the same time, we need to make space for other voices to speak into that. And it's a community conversation it's not a conversation of the learned experts saying this is this is the way it is and just believe.
0: This is the way it's always do. been. This is the way yeah. it's
1: always been. Like so um I feel
0: like do you feel like that would be, you know, a game changer for some people to engage with the Bible, faith? Like I I, I it, it's hard for me to tell. I would like feel like I wanna, you know, um, talk to some more people who have been more on the outside of of faith and willingness to engage the Bible. But this feels exciting. It feels like it could be exciting to, to um, people that have felt like, well, this doesn't make any sense to me that we take this ancient book and we just, like, are supposed to like do what it says when it's <laughs> you know yeah steep, <clears throat> steeped in yeah all kinds of um, ridiculousness <laughs> yeah like I think
1: and, like there's some hard work there because in some ways um, maybe a good image is that there needs to be some detoxifying of our thinking around what it means to approach the Bible and I, like I think we mm-hmm. we can fall into it quite easily too. Where, like, we kind of started there today. We're asking the questions. Okay, well, reimagining is all great, but it just seems like, well, if everybody's just reimagining, like, well, it's everybody in their own image. Everybody can have their own different thoughts, and you know, we can have
0: got a conservative God, a Republican.
1: Yeah, we got a liberal. We got a liberal God, a conservative God. We've got a feminist God. We've got a person of color God, and you know, we all have our little, our little (laughs) tribes, and and we just kind of like, well. That's your opinion, but this is how I see it my of. god yeah 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 and and so um but I think part of part of that is we have to unlearn some of the ways that we've approached the Bible, and I think ends is you know we might i don't know if, if you we get frustrated by how repetitive Pete ends's chapters can be in some ways, it's sort of like he's re. He's just redoing the same argument over and over again. But I think part of it is like he's trying to, um, he's trying to cleanse us of Mm -hmm. something and it doesn't, we can't wash it out in one chapter. We have to, continue to work at it and um
0: it's kind of like he keeps saying no really
1: (laughs) yeah no really yeah and 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 in this chapter he says like you know he uses this image about standing on a table with his hair on fire or whatever like he's he he wants to really hammer something home and i think we need it (laughs) in some ways we need that Mm -hmm. because we are prone to um yeah we're we're prone to want to have it much clearer
0: and and doesn't get into this but for me a critical component in this is um, that we do it communally that there's a diversity of of people that are are wrestling with this together because that is the to me that's the antidote to just coming up with my own my own picture I need people of color I need people um who've had different life experiences are in different age groups I need you know the diversity of the of the community to speak into this reimagination
1: yeah I think that's really truly really well said and I mean maybe ends is going to get into that at some point um he he does in the sense that the Bible is a communal book, mm-hmm. and it's not just a community of a dozen people who sat around and decided this is what the Bible was going to be. It's actually a community that is actually spanning over over millenniums, millennia, and uh, and so. Um, when we engage the Bible we are we may engage it with a community of people, but we also need to unfold that larger community of thousands and thousands of years of reimagining God that are are evident in it, and we need to find other conversation partners in that, and that's all part of it and then another conversation partner is um, we believe strongly that the Holy Spirit comes as comes alongside of us in this process and so there's the community of god that Mm -hmm. becomes part of the process um you know if 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 that's your understanding of god you you bring that to it and so it's not just a. we're not just in a process with ourselves unmoored from our tradition but that we're actually we're part of a large community of of um you know multifaceted community. Yeah. And so we can move forward in that.
0: Sounds like a good place to end for today. Right? I think so. Um we are going to pick up next time on chapter 10 Treasures Old and New. And actually our wow, well, let's just give a little teaser for a podcast we hope to do this Friday with Brad Jursek. And we're going to invite him to engage on on some of the stuff that we've been talking about with Pete Ends, but get his perspective. He's visiting a friend of ours visiting from BC, and he's written a lot about um, how we engage the Bible. And
1: in fact, he's uh, like many of you will will know Brad from uh, his book um, "Can You Hear Me," which is about listening prayer. And more recently, he wrote. Um, a significant book called A More Christ-like God, um, a theological book, and then more recently, A More Christ-like Way, which is about how we as people of Jesus can can live this Christ, Christ-centered Christ way. And his newest book that he's in the process of working on, and we hope to get some of his uh, big ideas from that, is A More Christ-like Word, which is specifically about how we read the scriptures through the lens of our relationship with Jesus. So... Um, So he's definitely somebody who's, uh, unlike the two of us who are kind of conversation partners with with the work of ENDS, he will be able to bring some, maybe some, even some insight into this. And maybe some of our big questions that we keep on throwing off of each other, we can uh, get Brad to... uh, to
0: Solve them all for us. Solve them all for us. Give us the right answers. (laughs)
1: Wouldn't that be great?
0: (laughs) All right. Thanks for joining us. See Bye-bye. you next time.